Welcome to Chief Evangelist. I'm your host, Ethan Butte. I'm on a mission to explore and understand the role of the Chief Evangelist and the movement behind it. How should founders, investors, and C-suites be thinking about it? How does it benefit the company? Which companies and markets need evangelism most? What does the work involve? What does success look like? And who's a good fit as a Chief Evangelist? That's what we're exploring at ChiefEvangelist.com and in conversations like this one, which is brought to you by Ringmaster Conversational Marketing and their evangelist-powered podcasting package. Learn more at ringmaster.com. Today, we're learning from the chief evangelist at Gong, the leading revenue intelligence platform. He spent three years as vice president of marketing, then three years as chief marketing officer at Gong before shifting into this evangelist role. Udi Lettergore, welcome to Chief Evangelist. Hi, Ethan. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. Yeah, me too. I was really excited to see on LinkedIn your job title change because it immediately made me curious. And uh, I reached out initially. You had a lot going on, obviously, in the transition. So we'll get into what that transition is, but I'm happy to have you here. And I'm going to start with the standard question that I uh, open all these conversations with, which is, what is the most important job of a Chief Evangelist? I think the most important job of chief evangelist is to ignite the demand and evangelism in the market that the company operates in. So that if I were to go away, this continues and we have created a tribe of followers and raving fans who want to continue spreading the good word of Gong. All right. So much good. I mean, I could spend 10 minutes just on that response alone, but I want to start with Ignite. Um, Ignite's powerful. It, it it immediately conjures a vision of you have some kind of a torch, you're torch bearing, and other people take it on, and you're lighting other people up, throwing sparks, whatever the case may be. Talk about that word, Ignite. Yeah, I think it reminds me of an old definition I read once for a movement. How do you know that you've got a movement? And you know you've got a movement when it has inertia and power to move on its own that if you stop pushing it, it keeps going. If you need to keep pushing it, you don't have a movement. You're just pushing something. And I think about Ignite, when you light a fire, as long as there's material to burn, it will continue burning. You don't have to keep lighting it all the time. It would get really tiresome to cook a or boil an egg if I had to keep lighting the fire over and over again. Once I light it and there's gas, it will keep, it will keep going. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get folks behind an idea that using data behind making decisions on sales strategy and the broader go-to-market strategy is the right way to go after eons of sales getting away with making decisions that were largely based on hunches and opinions and gut feelings, which were great when we had nothing better. But now, and I think this has been going on for the last seven years or so since Gong has been in the market, more and more revenue teams are seeing that it, it is still part arts and craft, but it's equal parts science. And there's so much data that we can use to make better decisions and drive better outcomes. And if that'll be part of Gong's legacy and part of my legacy of, of igniting this idea so that in five or 10 years from now, uh, every single revenue leader is using data in the form that revenue intelligence allows them to use to make these informed decisions, we'll, we'll have done a good job. 
Awesome. We may double back into this idea uh, that you're evangelizing in particular, but I'd love to take a step back because you're a five-time marketing leader in B2B startups, um, obviously going as well past startup mode, uh, but I'm sure it was much more like that when you arrived. Um, I would love your perspective, you know, over the past decade or maybe even two, what has changed in B2B marketing or B2B sales and marketing or more broadly, B2B go-to-market strategy that makes evangelism more relevant and useful today than say it was a decade or two ago? First of all, do you accept that? Um, and second, if so, why? Like what's changed in B2B sales and marketing? I do. I, I think there's there's many changes we can talk about. I think two of the critical ones that I would point to are one, B2B marketing has learned a lot of lessons from our brothers and sisters over at B2C marketing and our approach to market, our approach to evangelism, our approach to brand and category building has taken a much more human approach, a much more approachable approach, a much more communicative approach than it did 10 or 15 years ago. And you see this in the way that executives are talking on LinkedIn. Um, you know, Eric, you went from uh, Zoom he regularly responds when some angry Zoom user reports a bug on LinkedIn. You'll see the CEO of this multi-billion dollar company responding, saying, thank you so much for your feedback. I've got my engineer on this tonight. I will personally get back to you tomorrow with an answer. Boom. Like you've never seen that happen 10 years ago from CEOs at B2B companies. They were all sort of sitting, sitting in their ivory towers and everyone's a lot more approachable and communicative today. I think part of that is what social media has done to all of our lives. We expect people to be more uh, communicative and approachable now, but I think it's mostly from the B2C brands where they have realized long before B2B that you can be a powerful authority and leading brand without being condescending and stuck up and inapproachable. And the melding of those things together that I think in our space, Gong pioneered seven years ago, when we decided to be like most B2B brands, an authority and thought leader in our space, but we did not confuse that with being boring, condescending, and inapproachable. And we created this really fun, unbuttoned sort of brand with bright colors that many people thought were crazy for a serious B2B brand to use seven years ago. Today, you see brands with all colors of the rainbow, but just a few years ago, everything was the safe blues and grays and whites. And anything steered away from that was like very risky. Today, everyone's competing, like who's got the brighter, craziest shade of, of pink or purple or green or yellow. And that's wonderful. So that's one big change. Uh, the second change, I think, is we did this probably a decade earlier than our friends in sales, but using data to become a lot more analytical in our approach. Uh, I've been doing marketing for long enough to remember when marketing could get away with producing a nice brochure, a pretty website, and a decent event booth. That was kind of all that people expected from us 15 or 20 years ago. And in the last 10 years, we've been at the forefront of using very advanced analytics and data to inform our decisions, to partner with the finance team, to come and show them the cost of acquisition and how we're uh, impacting pipeline and attributing our uh, pipeline to campaigns and specific programs and content and events and things that people never thought would be measurable to the extent that they are today. So those two things are becoming a lot more approachable and kind of unbuttoned, similar to our friends in B2C. 
and using a lot more data to inform our decision and strategy, I think those are two of the biggest changes marketing to see. Really good, very thorough. And I wanna double back into that first response there. I love the language of approachable and unapproachable. Um, I think that's part of it. I mean, obviously social media allows this type of contact in a reasonable way. I don't think you're gonna be able to pick up the phone and call Zoom and get to the CEO with the same thing. So part of it is the approachability has been uh, facilitated, but then you also have to step into it and embrace it. And I think there's also something unique about um, the human to human, I mean, you mentioned it, the, the word that's top of mind here is remarkable, right? It's remarkable for that to happen. Uh, and so now we all carry these stories in our pockets about the people who we know represent people who we feel like we know, or perhaps know, representing these different brands and products. And I think the evangelist plays um, a unique role there. So I'd love to spend maybe 10 minutes here walking into how you chose uh, or how you collectively chose or were, were influenced to choose uh, chief evangelist. And I want to start, you know, maybe seven-ish years ago. How did you find Gong or how did they find you? And what was exciting about that opportunity for you? Um, I wish I had a great heroic story for how I found Gong. But uh, honestly, uh, here's the story, the backstory. So Gong's CEO and co-founder, Amit Bendov, is a good friend and a colleague with him. I've worked at three different companies now. So for the past 25 years, since we first started working together, if you do the math, that's probably 1998. Uh, we worked at a company called Click Software, uh, where he was CMO. Uh, I was managing a help desk, if I remember correctly. And uh, we didn't really get to work together directly, but we worked at the same company for a few years and kind of knew of each other. Fast forward, that, that company ended up uh, going public and then uh, was acquired by Salesforce a few years back. Um, 10, 10, 10 years or so later, um, I was looking for my next challenge and he had, Amita just joined a company called Panaya as their CMO and he was looking for his first hire and uh, he remembered good things about me from Click Software, hired me to join him at Panaya and we ended up uh, working closely together for about five years there with me reporting to him and building the most of the marketing team. Um, and then fast forward, from that, Panaya also got acquired by uh, an Indian IT giant by the name of Infosys. And from there, Amit took on his first CEO role at a company called SciSense. It's a visual analytics company, a BI company. And uh, there, during what he called a quarter from hell, he came up with the idea for Gong, thinking that there's got to be a better way for revenue leaders to understand what's going on in their companies and when things change, why? what's happening, what they can do about it. And that point, he he took me for a coffee, told me about his idea, wanted some feedback. And I said, look, it, it looks amazing, but is the technology even there? Because this this seems like science fiction. He said, yeah, I know, it's, it's going to be hard. And then he called me six months later, and this was in July of 2016. And he said, remember the crazy idea I told you about six months ago? We built the product, or at least the very early MVP version of it, and we rolled it out to 12 beta customers. And three months later, when we saw that they were actually using it and excited with it, we told them, hey, we're gonna shut this off unless you start paying for paid license now. And um, they, they kicked and screamed, but 11 of the 12 wrote a check. And so I think we need to start marketing this thing beyond the beta program, can you come help? And I said, what took you so long? And that's how I joined Gong. So I just called, got the call from the CEO, I was, I joined as employee number 13 and marketer number one, and uh, have been really lucky to be on this journey for, for over seven years with Amit and the rest of the gang, 
So we grew the company from those original 13 employees to over 1,300 employees these days. And from those original 11 customers, by the way, that 12th beta customer did come back a year later, realized their mistake and bought Gong, and they're still a customer today. Um, we've grown from those 11 customers to well over 4,000 customers. And from the original very basic product, we now have a very strong platform that Forrester just uh, released their latest wave last week on our space and defined Gong as the only leader in the space, not one of the leaders, but the only leader in the space. Um, so we, we've we've been on a fun ride together. Yeah, that is. What an incredible journey. I was going to ask maybe a, a what now seems like a silly, broad question of like, what are some of the key changes in that time? Obviously, the tech has changed. The team has changed. Um, awareness and adoption. It's interesting. I forget when Gong came onto my radar, but I guess I'll generically say five-ish or six-ish years ago. And it at this point seems like it's a standard. Like, how could you operate? And I'm in particular thinking about maybe a SaaS sales team. Um, but I guess out of my own personal curiosity, describe the breadth of it. I know it in a SaaS sales team context. Um, I'm sure it's bigger than that. I'm sure it's wider than that. I'm sure it goes well beyond software. Like, um, talk about that for a minute. Of course. So, so Gong, uh, thank you for prompting this. For those who don't know, is a revenue intelligence platform. Uh, it started out with, uh, what was then breakthrough conversation intelligence technology that allowed us to capture sales interactions, uh, break them down, use AI and machine learning way before they were cool to understand what's going on and come up with some suggestions for how to have better sales calls, how to close deals in a better way and surface those to salespeople. That was seven years ago. Uh, today, the platform is really kind of an operating system for salespeople. And it uses AI to help them with everything from better and more efficient prospecting to better coaching, to better deal management, to better sales forecasting. So end-to-end -end, from prospecting to closing to renewals, expansions, and regular forecasting, Gong is there to help uh, sales teams from the top leaders to the last AE or SDR to get their jobs done in a better way. That's fantastic. I uh, appreciate that. And especially, I guess, because you're inside, um, how much of that expansion was of the product? Like, let's, 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 we have the information, let's provide this intelligence, let's tweak this and, and add this new layer of value. I assume that it was co-created with customers, but how much of it was, was like, you know, we had this vision two or three years ago, now we have the team or the resources, or actually the technology is now available that we can do these things versus um, you know, let's prioritize this against uh, customer demands. How much of that was internal vision versus customer demand or the balance of the two, of course? You know, uh, I love that question because on the one hand, we take a lot of pride in listening to our customers better than any company I've ever worked for. I mean, we use Gong to do that because every single customer call is recorded and people are regularly tagging product managers, listen to this feedback on their roadmap or on this feature or this complaint or this request. And product managers at Gong are closer to customers than at any, cost, any company I've ever been to. But having said that, it is amazing to look at the 2015 product roadmap presentations, which were very broad strokes and that were used to, to raise the initial investments that Gong took and to create the initial product vision. And almost to the T, what we're doing today is still very, very much grounded in that 
product roadmap from 2015. And I think that's part, a big part of what allowed us to move faster. And even Forrester recognized them in, in last week's report that they published saying that Gong has not steered away from its vision from back then, from its very, very early days. And that's what allowed us to move in leap and bounds faster than anyone else, because every other company in the space has been very reactive. One company started from a forecasting software and now is quickly scrambling to buy other companies and other companies started as a data company and are scrambling to buy software companies to compete with us. And yet a third type of companies, they started with a sales engagement product that was not even for salespeople, but for SDRs. And now they're realizing that the much bigger space that we always knew was bigger was in the salespeople space. But Gong like never really had any sort of pivot. We started building this revenue intelligence platform from the very early days. And we had the slides showing what came out five, six, seven years later. And, and I think that's been part of what allowed us to just keep going because we didn't have any major corrections to make on the way. Yeah, what a joy to have that for you personally to kind of see that whole journey through. I feel like uh, I was at the last company I was at for almost a dozen years, a software company. And like, that's like super rare. Um, so that like what you've been able to see and experience over the last seven years is is awesome, especially the pioneer. I, I mean, obviously the leader pioneering um, this type of uh, intelligence. Um, I assume when you use the term revenue, this includes post-sale as well. Correct. I think uh, I'm trying to remember the exact number, but it's at least 25%, if not more than that, of our customers use Gong not only in their sales teams, but also for their customer success or account management teams. It just makes a lot of sense. I mean, those teams are one way or another part of the revenue machine of that organization, whether they're in charge of renewals or expansions, uh, expansion using upsell or cross-sell. And, and all the great advantages of Gong that show new business salespeople how to get it right and how to sell more, they're just as effective for customer success folks who are trying to get more out of their existing customers. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, take us back one year now. Uh, what was going on for you personally? What was going on for Gong? What was going on in the market that made your shift to chief evangelist uh, make sense for all three of those constituents? Yeah, so at Gong, you know, I've seen a lot of growth. You, you talked about 12 years being rare for, for being in a company. Talk about seven years as a CMO. That, that's, that's also pretty rare. Uh, most CMOs, they specialize in a certain area of growth from zero to five or five to 10 or 10 to 50. Uh, well, I was very fortunate and lucky to see and take Gong from zero to hundreds of millions in revenue, uh, which which doesn't happen a lot. And I was working closely with amazing counterparts, our chief revenue officer, our chief customer officer, chief people officer. In the last 10 months or so, um, all of those functions that I mentioned um, have moved into new roles in Gong. So they're all still with the company, but we bought, brought in a new chief revenue officer, chief marketing officer, chief customer officer, and chief people officer to take Gong to the next level from the hundreds of millions to billions in revenue. And we all agreed that the best way to do that is to bring people who have done this before at wonderful companies like Qualtrics and Samsara and, and others where they've seen this next level of growth and, and let them guide us there faster and more confidently than we could have done ourselves. So I am part of that uh, very, very fortunate team that took Gong to, to that first stage. But as our CEO described it during one of our transitions, he said, um, you know, when, when NASA sends a rocket to the moon, it's not one rocket that ignites on Earth and lands with that motor on the moon. It's a multi-step rocket. The first part takes it out of the 
uh, out of the atmosphere. And then that rocket comes off and a new one ignites to take it to the moon's orbit. And then that one detaches and a new one comes on for the safe landing. So it's kind of the same idea to get a company from zero to public, which we are now pretty close to. We do need several leaders along the way who specialize in those different stages. I'll, I'll give you one simple example from my field. You know, in the early days of marketing, when we were three, five, 15 people, I, I got to do real marketing every day, like crack interesting, creative problems. What should be our next campaign? And how can we make noise on a budget? And uh, how can we make ourselves known and heard way beyond our, our actual size? Today, when the marketing team is 70 people, it's all about project management and process and technologies and keeping track of complex projects and team meetings. There's a lot of this overhead that is not my area of passion. And we need managers who know how to manage these large, complex systems. I, I love going back and solving those creative problems and, and coming up with crazy ideas and being able to execute them quickly. And let's face it, at, at, at gong size and as large, the, lar the larger a company grows, the pace is going to come down. It's like, you know, a speedboat is never going to move as, as fast as a large, you know, cruise ship. And that's, that's where Gong is going. And uh, you, you've got to sort of be aware of where your strength and passions are. And, and I think I know where they are. So that's what I get to do now as evangelist. I get to focus on the things I love, like speaking opportunities, like we're doing here today. I, I've been traveling a ton, doing uh, roughly 25 speaking opportunities each quarter this last year. Um, I'm, I've built an influencer program. So I get to work with many industry influencers and get them involved in our programs and spreading the evangelism about Gong. I do a lot of executive alignment calls. Just earlier this morning, I was sitting with one of our customers and their entire marketing team, sharing with them how they could be using Gong to understand how their strategic initiatives are performing in the market, how their sales team is performing, and got them very excited about that. So I get to do the real work again, which uh, I, I hadn't been doing for a while, or at least it felt that way, uh, running a, a 60 or 70 person marketing team. So much stuff in there that I love and a lot that I can identify with too, not that I was ever CMO of a, a very large organization, um, but but that that dynamic of what I loved and what really brought me to life isn't as present today as it was before. I also, by the way, going all the way back to the start of that response, I so appreciate the humility of you and the other folks who had been along for that whole journey to be able to say, you know what, I'm not the right person for this stage. And I also love the rocket analogy. It's fantastic. It makes so much sense. And so um, to double back one step, because you already took me to where I want to go is like, what is a, a good, good day, week, quarter look like for you? you already teased that a little bit in terms of the activity areas. Um, but what else did you consider and or what was exciting to you about evangelism or the evangelist rule? Like, where did you look? What was your model as you were thinking about like, what's the next best, highest use of me and my experience and my passion and my knowledge and my relationships. And this it all makes sense to me from the outside. I just love to know, like, how are you thinking about it? And what was it about the evangelist role or title in particular that you're like, this is it? I think when I do speaking opportunities like this, or when I get on a stage or even a customer call, uh, I, I often get responses from people saying, oh, I can see how passionate you are about Gong and about what you're doing. And yes, I am. And that's kind of the core that's within evangelism. Um, I, I got to pick that title after creating a job description uh, together with my CEO. He he knows me very well after 25 years of working together on and off. So he he picked a couple of 
important projects that he wanted me to focus on once the new CMO came in. And uh, he, he knew I would get excited about them. That, that, that's how he started. He said, what do you have? I've, I've got a project I think you're going to be excited about. He didn't say, I've got something I need you to do. He said, I've got something I think you're going to be excited about. And he was right. And around that, uh, I then sat down and took really some of my favorite areas in marketing, things that I think I have experience and skill and passion to do well, and built that job description around them, picked the title, which I think makes it easy to understand uh, what is this person doing. Um, I think the only person I had to uh, convince that I'm, in fact, not working for a church now was my father, but everyone else in the industry kind of got it. And, and that's how the, this title came to be. Um, I have met with other evangelists at other companies. They often take a similar approach to mine. They were often the leaders of the marketing organization, like John Miller at uh, Demandbase. Um, if you look at um, uh, Guy Kawasaki, previously at Apple, today at Canva, uh, he did not lead the, the entire marketing organization, but, but he's been doing evangelism as, as a profession for many, many years. Um, so this is the type of stuff they do. They show up to where uh, potential buyers of the product are and get them hooked on the idea and get them excited well before they, they're even in market to buy the product. And then those customers who are in market get them even more excited about all the possibilities of making more use of the product. So that's kind of what what I'm doing today. I, I knew I, I wanted to kind of pick and choose these things that um, that I am passionate about and not just sort of carve out a subsection of marketing that maybe I would get bored with after a while. And so uh, I, I do see evangelism as an extension of marketing uh, that I think more and more companies are, are starting to realize the importance and impact that evangelism can make. And, and I see more companies talking to me about hiring this function for themselves. Hey, thanks for listening to Chief Evangelist. For so many reasons, podcasting is a great opportunity and channel for evangelism. If you've been thinking about a podcast or you want to shift production and promotion to a team that's especially evangelist friendly, check out ringmaster.com. Their Connect Engage Scale program is designed for evangelist powered podcasting for software and tech companies in the growth stage. Again, you can learn more at ringmaster.com. They're also the team behind this podcast. Speaking of Chief Evangelist, let's get back to it. Yeah, same. I mean, that was kind of my motivation to get this thing going. I was getting more and more outreach on a blog post I wrote five plus years ago um, where I interviewed Guy Kawasaki and Sangram Vajri from Terminus, Dan Steinman, who had a similar story to yours. Uh, where, you know, he built that CS org and he, it kind of outgrew his level of passion and interest. He's like, I, this, you know, and he goes to Nick and says, I goodbye, I guess. And Nick's like, no, you know, same, same as your relationship, uh, with your CEO where it's no, um, I appreciate you. I respect you. You have so much more value to give this organization and this movement. So let's try this evangelist role. Like it, um, your your story matches so many that I've heard uh, over the years, but the, the frequency with which people would find that post through organic search and reach out was just increasing. Um, and it's interesting to hear that your experience is the same, that you're that more people are asking you about it. Uh, by the way, also another similarity, um, my dad was the primary person I had to really spend some time explaining that the role in time. That's, that's funny. Yeah, you, you mentioned Sangram. Uh, just today we were chatting uh, earlier this morning and, and we, we met each other at a conference uh, 
Uh, I mean, we we know each other for for many years. Sangram is another great example of evangelism. I mean, he almost single handedly built the whole idea of flip your funnel and and uh, the, the whole ABM category that that's now a given. Uh, he he was really one of those pioneers. So uh, I think he he's also like perfect fit for an evangelism role like that. Yeah, I mean, he, he was critical in my experience with all of this. He's the one that invited me to do that guest series on evangelists, and he was the first, obviously, the first guest. Um, and he playfully referred to himself as the accidental evangelist, um, you know, which I, which I think a lot of us kind of are at some point. I mean, another characteristic that you have that is shared across so many people I've had these conversations with is that it's bespoke, right? Like, it's not like there was a job description. It's like, oh, that sounds like a more interesting and challenging job than the one I have now. Let me pursue it. It's we have you a human being who we know and trust implicitly, all the other positive characteristics, let's design a completely bespoke role in this organization, in this market, in this movement, because it makes sense for everyone around it. Um, what were any of the expected or unexpected consequences, positive or negative over the past year or so? Like you obviously had a clear course, you had some of your own thoughts, your CEO is on board. Um, a, a couple specific projects to get going. You already mentioned a couple of them, including the influencer program. Um, any, just share any other kind of surprises that that uh, came your way over the past year or so, um, either for better, for worse, or or neutral, maybe. Yeah. No. So, so as far as impact, I mean, I do have KPIs that I report on a quarterly basis, just like most other roles. Definitely every other executive roles. I mean, we're. we're uh, pretty senior people, and we have to show that we're making an impact. So my, my report includes KPIs like uh, how many accounts I touched and and what is the dollar value of pipeline and revenue that I impacted in the quarter. Um, so if I'm meeting with, let's say, five opportunities that each is worth half a million dollars and influencing their decision, I just impacted two and a half million dollars of pipeline. And if I'm uh, working with two million dollar accounts and getting them across the renewal line, I just impacted $2 million of revenue. So that's one of my KPIs is the revenue that I'm impacting through my executive alignment calls, um, getting in front of audiences at live and uh, virtual, sorry, in-person and virtual speaking opportunities is another uh, KPI that I report on. So as I said, I, I probably do 20 to 25 speaking opportunities each quarter, um, reaching a target of thousands. Um, even if in the smaller podcasts, they probably have hundreds of, of listeners and some of my in-person speaking opportunities are in front of many hundreds of revenue leaders. So that that we know has an impact. And, and we know that some of those uh, audience members end up becoming customers or end up inviting me for, for more information about Gong for their teams. And that definitely has an impact. And then the, the third area was the, the influencer program. So there um, I'm working with highly influential people within our industry. And we see when they share their excitement about Gong, when they uh, contribute some of their content to put in our product, when they come on our webinar, they come on our podcast, and we see the reach that they have, some of them within the tens of thousands of followers, we know that's making an impact on our brand awareness, our category awareness, and our category leadership. So those are the kind of things that I, I get measured on. Yeah, that's really good. It, it reminds me of language that we've used uh, on this show before, which is evidence rather than proof. This idea of... It, you, it's not closed revenue, it's it's influenced or impacted revenue. Um, and I appreciate that you're in an environment where that is enough. I've spoken with other people who struggled with that, where like they want a tighter closed gap on that. And I, in my opinion or observation or experience, 
it's basically impossible um, to get past the evidence to proof uh, per se, you and your message and the, or the way that you bring a known message, right? Let's just say they're con a potential buyer is consciously aware of a couple of key concepts and messages, but your experience with them, uh, whether in person or, or digitally, virtually, um, reignites that interest and passion, raises it up as a level of priority and they close. Proof, evidence, tough to say. No, I, I mean, you have a valid point and I think every company is gonna look at this a little bit differently. Um, in the last 12 months or so at Gong, one of our explicit strategic goals as a company is to show our customers the value that they're getting from Gong because in this tight economy when uh, there's a lot more scrutiny from CFOs and any business buyer about what they need to keep and what they can do without. When I come in because a salesperson brings me into a strategic account, this could be a six or seven figure account or eight figure account even, and uh, their marketing team doesn't understand what they could be doing with Gong. And after an hour in the room with me and then follow up with the account management team to build all the trackers and initiative boards that I got them excited about, we now have a sticky usage of Gong in their marketing team. That, that impact is very clear and aligns with our strategic goal. So it's not just in a vacuum. I'm not just opening doors, seeing who wants to talk. I'm being called in by our reps to the most strategic accounts to hook them on the value of Gong. So I, I think there's good understanding of how the, the impact of evangelism is, is really influencing sales. Yes, can I calculate the exact dollar and cent, cent value of my influence? Probably not. I could probably give you a floor figure because some cases are so obvious, like where the marketing team expanded and bought more licenses because Udi got them excited. That may be an obvious case, and that's kind of the the floor value of the the impact that I'm creating. But but I think we all understand that it's an order of magnitude larger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where are you structured? Do you are you do you report to CEO? Do you have dotted line over to marketing because you're coordinating with them more than maybe other teams, or are you just a free agent inside the organization and chart aside because it's Udi. We know who Udi is. We trust him. I, I, I probably a half free agent, but half reporting to my CEO. So I, I do report to Amit, my CEO. I think we both felt that would be the best way to get the most impact out of my work because of our long lasting relationship. And uh, because we, we just had a new CMO come in uh, less than a year ago, we did not want, I did not want to create a burden on him by having to understand my current passion areas and what I can do, I can just keep doing this with the CEO. He's got so much on his plate. That's that's more than enough for him to figure out. Yeah, really fair. So you're obviously engaging uh, with accounts, uh, prospect accounts, customer accounts. How formal is that structure? Like my imagination is that if I knew I had you at my disposal as say an account manager or a CSM or an AE or, or some other similar role, I'd be like, I definitely want him on more of my calls. Like. I would assume that, that that the demand outstrips supply, but that's partly a function of, you know, how much do people know that you're available to them or how are you made available to them? Like how formal yeah. is that structure? Like how do you get involved with accounts? So so we have two ways that that happens. Uh, one of them is is a, a well-run program. We have a program manager for our executive alignment program at Gong. Um, every executive, uh, definitely every VP and uh, many of the senior directors as well, um, within the go-to-market organization, but also outside of it, um, our CFO, our uh, chief product officer, we are all assigned several dozens of accounts as their executive sponsor. 
and the customer success manager, the AE, the account manager on that account, um, they are responsible for introducing us uh, or at least asking us to introduce ourselves to the executive sponsors of our buyers, whether they're customers or prospects. And the CSM owns the relationship, but we are the ones that show up and uh, create value in those meetings and, and get on calls a couple of times a year as long or as, as often as it takes. So that's kind of the formally structured program, which is which is pretty well run. Uh, I think we're we're doing a pretty good job because I get asked about it at other companies that I that I meet with. Uh, so that's our executive alignment program. And then I would say uh, once an account manager or a CSM or an AE actually have me on their call, they'll usually start bringing me into additional calls where they go, "Oh, I remember Udi talking to a CMO about the same question that I just got. I'm going to ask him if he's free to come into that call." So I'm I'm always happy to make time do this. And, and in my new role, I mean, it's baked into my role. I have more time to do this than when I was a CMO. I still tried my best to jump on all the customer calls than I could, but I had to set a higher bar back then. Like I used to be a bit of a nag and asking, well, is this really like a six or seven figure account? Or is this like a 20K account? Because if it's 20K account, then you're probably going to have to do without me. I just can't make the time for this. Uh, I always try to make the time, but now, now it's part of the job. And, uh, and, and the expectation is that the CSM brings in the right executive, whether we know that the CMO is an influencer, then it might be someone like me. If it's usually a revenue leader, it might be uh, someone else like our, our current or former CRO. And if they know that the, the customer CFO is a big influencer, they might bring our CFO to share how he thinks about the value of Gong and how he uses it and, and uses it to see how our most strategic initiatives are running within Love it. I want to double back to the 25 speaking engagements a quarter. Uh, it's a, it's a fantastic number. Um, how, like how, talk about how are those sourced? I mean, I'm sure because you've been around, you've spoken on a number of stages as CMO virtual and in person. Um, I'm sure there's just an inherent demand, um, that provides a lot of them, but are there other sources? Are you actively self-sourcing that? Does the marketing team bring you into some of the things that come perhaps with like a sponsorship or that type of a thing? All, all of the above. So, uh, you know, the, the speaking circuit is interesting. It's it's uh, it's a bit of a virtuous cycle. So um, back in, I think, April, I did uh, a big speaking session for 700 revenue leaders in Chicago at the uh, American Association of Inside Sales Professionals annual summit. And a month later, I got a call or an email first from someone who was in the audience for that session. He said, I, I worked for this private equity firm. I, I saw your session at the AISP summit. I thought it was brilliant. We're doing a conference for our portfolio companies. I'd really love you to come in and do a version of that uh, about how AI is changing sales for our portfolio companies. And that is just one example of many where one speaking opportunity leads to another because an audience member realizes that another audience that they have control over uh, might benefit from, from that. Uh, you were also correct to guess that our marketing team sources some of these for me, uh, whether we get a slot at a conference that we're sponsoring or, or some other arrangement. Uh, needless to say, at many Gong conferences, in last week alone, I've hosted a revenue leaders event in New York and been on stage with a Gong Labs research keynote at our own Celebrate event in Half Moon Bay. Um, Many of our investors uh, do their own conferences and then they want to bring Gong in as kind of the darling company to share either something about what we're doing or something about our marketing journey. So again, earlier uh, or late last week, I, I spoke at the Norwest Growth Marketing Summit 
Norwest was one of our original seed investors at Gong. And so I've, I've done quite a bit of events with them. And I know my CEO at the same time was on stage at the Battery Ventures event because Battery is also uh, an investor in Gong and they had him speak at, at their event. So uh, that's how a lot of them uh, come to me. I would say most of them come inbound uh, just because, you know, many people know of Gong. And, and if someone at Gong gets a request for a speaker, whether it comes to my CEO or to our marketing uh, team or, or somewhere else, a lot of those just get channeled to me because people know that I... I'm available to do them. I enjoy doing them and I'll, I'll probably do a decent job most of the time. So uh, that's how most of them end up with me. Yeah, I'm sure it's a, a higher share than most of the time. And what a joy to be able to say yes, because it sounds like, you know, when you were CMO, you had to say no more often than you wanted to. So uh, what a joy to be in a seat exactly. uh, where you're brought to life in the way that um, you're uniquely equipped to. You mentioned that a number of folks are asking you about the evangelist role um, either for themselves or perhaps if they're executives, you know, should we implement something similar? What kind of follow-up questions or what kind of advice are you sharing with people that are interested in evangelism as a function and as a role? Yeah, I, th I think you, you mentioned it earlier. These are usually bespoke roles and you, we can talk about some high-level questions to be asked about like, is evangelism right for your company or is this candidate a good one to become an evangelist for your company? Because I also, also had folks come to me saying, hey, I, I want to go to this so-and-so company and convince them to hire me as their evangelist and I kind of help them think about it. And sometimes it's a good fit, sometimes maybe not so much. So I would say some of the obvious considerations are, is this person a domain expert and not only an expert, but well-connected with followers and meaningful relationships within your domain. Um, if not, uh, just take that into account that there could be other reasons to hire them, but it will take them time to build a following in, in that domain. If they've never been in cybersecurity before, nobody knows them or trusts them and they have no credibility, it, it might be a very long journey until they build that credibility. So that's one obvious consideration. Two would be, uh, are they knowledgeable and passionate about your company, its values, its, its mission, and its product. Now, that, that could be a shorter journey because you know anyone you hire in the company, you expect them within a couple of months to become an expert on all those things. But you want to make sure like that there is a shared vision and, and values. And you can't fake being passionate for a long time. And if this is going to be like your main job, you really want to be able to get behind whatever you're pushing to the market. I'm, I'm intentionally not saying selling because I don't mean it in the literal form of selling, but you know all of what we all do has parts selling into it. And I've been at companies where I felt great about what we were selling. I've been at companies where I knew that sometimes it didn't always live up to all the inflated expectations or it wasn't the best product in the market or it wasn't quite as ready as we said it was. But at Gong, this is easy because we truly do have the best product by far in the category. So it's it's an honor to be able to get on stage or, or talk to executives and wholeheartedly look them in the eye and say like, you will not regret this. This is what's going to make the most impact on your revenue team. So those are some of the uh, considerations. Um, I think obviously if, if you want someone who's going to be on stages and, and in front of customers all day, you want to make sure they're a decent speaker. Um, not everyone loves doing it. Um, not everyone is great at doing it. And you probably want someone who's at least decent on, on both of those accounts. Um, so those would be some of the questions I would ask. And I think maybe the last one was kind of higher level beyond the, the specific skills and, and experiences. Is there a bigger story that, that you can sell? Because 
if you're not creating a category, if you're not disrupting a category, if you're not coming with some unconventional wisdom that the world needs persuading into, um, then maybe you don't need an evangelism. Maybe you need a great pre-sales engineer, or maybe you need great salespeople or, or good marketing. But I don't know that every company can benefit from evangelism unless there's a bigger idea. I know I would only be interested in doing evangelism for a company with a bigger idea that that's changing, if not the entire world, then at least an industry. Um, otherwise, you're, you're, you're selling a product, and I don't think I would make a great salesperson. Yeah, that's... Very, very, so many, so much good stuff in there going all the way back to the beginning of like some depth of expertise, um, subject matter expertise, arguably product expertise, maybe depending on the nature of the evangelist role. I love the, your, your use of the word wholehearted. I think that captures so much of what this is about. Um, and I've heard it from you, um, implicitly throughout our conversation, which is, um, no one's going to care as much as you do and your creating these human to human moments, uh, either in person or virtually that cause, cause Udi, they could lock you in a room and you could just write a whole bunch of stuff, but it's not going to convey the same patch. It's all the same information, but it's not conveyed nearly the same way in a way that's going to light someone up, um, in, in an emotional way, in addition to an intellectual way. Um, and, and it makes me think about the divide between, you know, like creator influencer type stuff versus the evangelist a lot of people come to it without that depth they're like but i look at all my following on these channels and like well that's that's more of an influencer play you've built a platform you've built an audience and now you can leverage it however you want it may make sense for a company to bring you in house and to have you full time and essentially buy your platform and your audience but in most cases people are renting it uh whereas the evangelism piece because of that depth of expertise the passion, the ability to, to hold yourself on a stage or on a call. Um, it's just a whole different dynamic. And part of that is tenure, I think. And another characteristic you fit from that first um, uh, evangelist series I did with Sangram on Flip My Funnel is like in from earliest days. So it does check your boxes on mission, values, purpose, the movement that we're collectively doing. And now we're harnessing you to kind of guide the movement in a more intentional way. Um, yeah, there are things you can't buy. I, I agree. And and if you look at the other evangelists, they've followed a very similar path. I mean, uh, John Miller has been uh, originally with Marketo, where he was also an evangelist. John has been an evangelist at, at, at these both companies. So after he, he was a great CMO at Marketo, he took on the evangelist role. And then when his company that he founded, Engageo, was acquired by Demandbase, he did his CMO tenure there and then became uh, their evangelist recently. Guy Kawasaki was an evangelist twice at Apple. So he was there in the early days evangelizing um, Apple products for uh, the, the engineering and design communities, I believe. And then uh, Steve brought him back uh, for a second tenure after uh, he, he took a break. And, and then Canva brought him in, realizing his potential to help there. So it, it's definitely usually folks that have been there from very early on that just have perspective on how the space evolved. And I can talk about what's happened in conversation intelligence from its very first baby steps back in 2016 to uh, where it is today and where it's going in the future because I think few people in the industry have the deep understanding that folks like I have just from, from being here for this long. Yeah, I mean, you, yeah, this checks so many boxes and like I'm not gonna list all the names, but you made me think of like four or five different people I've met through this, all of them guests on this show who check these boxes, including the, the 
historical arc of a newly emergent industry. I don't I don't mean to drive by that either. If you're not innovating, there's probably no reason to be evangelizing because you don't need to bring anyone along. You just need to remind them of this thing they already know and they're familiar with. And here's a better option because it's cheaper, faster, better, whatever. This has been an absolute pleasure, Udi. Uh, I'm so glad that you're in a spot that is beneficial to you, to the movement and to the team around you. Um, before I let you go, though, I would love for you to share something that you evangelize in your own personal life. What's something you've maybe been accused of evangelizing by people close to you? Um, I don't want to sound too bombastic, but uh, basic human rights and equality uh, for, for both women and, and the LGBT community are deeply important to me. And uh, I've, I've been accused of spending quite a bit of time and effort and energy on evangelizing those. And I, I do take advantage of of my business networks, including LinkedIn and company events and stages that I get on to, uh, to, to do good in those areas as well. I, uh, I'm an openly gay executive. I've been uh, fortunate to, to co-found and been the chair of the Israeli Association of Gay Fathers for five years and, and helped a bunch of other organizations uh, around that. So I, I definitely don't take my position of power and privilege lightly and try to use them uh, wisely for promoting those really, really important ideas, arguably even more important than revenue intelligence. I would, I would say inarguably, but because of your position at GOG, I'll take arguably. I really appreciate, um, I appreciate that very, very much. I wish you continued success in both missions there. And uh, if folks have gotten to this point, almost 50 minutes in this conversation, they may want to connect with you if they're not already. Where we send people to learn more about you or about GOG or about human rights. Yes. So uh, about Gong, I would definitely go to gong.io. And uh, if you're not quite in the market for revenue intelligence, we have a fascinating blog. Uh, fair warning, you will spend hours there. If you go to our blog at gong.io slash blog, there's fascinating research uh, about what's working and not working in sales, all based on data that we've analyzed through billions of sales interactions. Uh, so that's fascinating. Uh, I'm happy to connect with any one of our listeners on LinkedIn. Fortunately, there's only one Udi Lettergore on LinkedIn, so you should not have any trouble finding me. And um, yeah, as, as far as uh, LGBT rights, there are so many organizations doing uh, fantastic uh, work right now. I'd, I'd, I'd probably make a lot of friends angry if I missed theirs. So I'm, I'm going to keep it at that. Very good. Uh, links to those things right down below, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening in your preferred podcast app, there are links right down below in that description. It's there for a reason use it. Udi, thank you again so much for your time. I'm so glad that you're in the spot that you're in. Appreciate who you are and what you're doing. I appreciate you spending this time with me. Thanks for having me, Ethan. Thank you all for listening. That wraps up this episode of Chief Evangelist. Thank you for joining us. And thanks to Ringmaster Conversational Marketing for helping bring these episodes to you. With any thoughts or questions about the Chief Evangelist role, message me on LinkedIn. I'm Ethan Butte, E-T-H-A-N, E-E-U-T-E. -E. For show notes and more of these conversations, visit chiefevangelist.com.